Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast, your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Recording this here Tuesday morning. We're heading off to chemo shortly, so I'm going to try and squeak this in before uh, the afternoon takes precedence. Cat Rocky has just jumped up in front of me, and he's not showing me his behind yet, but I'm sure that he will. Another staple of my podcasts. Let's say a big thanks, as always, to you for sending in the questions that power this show. Also to Cooper Tires, whose tires not only are fine for the road, but also power the road to Indy. All three levels making use of Cooper Tires Racing Slicks. I want to say a big thank you to the Justice Brothers, their automotive chemicals and lubricants that I've been using since I was a teenager. I've used in competition forever. And then finally, torontomotorsports.com, a bunch of awesome motor racing memorabilia, hats, t-shirts, stickers, models, IndyCar, F1, you name it. Pay them a visit, torontomotorsports.com. Last little thing to mention here before we get rolling, one-year anniversary of my pal Jim Kaiser putting together the questions here each week. Took uh, Took the baton from another friend, Tim Falkowitz, who... Thankfully, got to meet in person at St. Petersburg here last month. But big thank you to Jim, who took over from Tim one year ago. And do appreciate the time that he spends to look through everything you send in, try and come up with compelling content each week. And we're going to try a new format. I'll try and remember to tell you about it when we get to the end of the show. But all I can tell you is we're going to try it. And if it works the way that I hope... I think it's going to be the new jam going forward for our listener Q&A show here, talking about IndyCar. So we do have cars that are meant to be on track right now. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course new 2024 engine testing going on. Just tweeted out, have learned that both manufacturers, Honda and Chevy, Chevy and Honda, will indeed be staying over to test on Wednesday. Originally scheduled for a two-day test, Monday and Tuesday, but with ambient temperatures being very low, the threat of rain, etc. Not a ton you can learn in frigid, frigid ambient situations. Things you want to learn about how the motors deal with reject heat, deal with heat in general. When things are so cold, you're actually having to tape off the radiator inlets to build heat within the motor compared to having to open up more shutters at the back to flow air through, more air through the radiators to cool. Again, limited in what you can pick up. So one thing that I heard about from yesterday might be interesting. Should also mention that Chevy and Honda are certainly not talking on the record. They're not making their drivers available to speak. They're wanting to keep all this as secret as possible. But one thing I heard from yesterday was uh, both drivers, that being Joseph Newgarden for Chevy, in a Team Penske livery, and then Scott Dixon for Honda, being run by Chip Ganassi Racing, and a Honda livery there, uh, lighting up and destroying their tires. And I'd love to tell you it was because there's so much horsepower. There's a million billion horsepower now going to the rear wheels, rear tires. While there is more power, that wasn't the reason for torching their rear tires. It was, again, the lack of temperature. And so with a very cold track surface, a lack of Firestone rubber uh, being on that surface, 
and then the tires being colder than you would want, you get a lot of wheel spin. So you get more rocks than rubber <laughs> uh, trying to keep the car stuck to the ground. So, yeah, heard that there was a lot of, of roasty tires, uh, a lot of wheel spin that really did not, once again, allow for super meaningful running. So that's why they're going to stay over on Wednesday. Supposed to be the in the mid-40s in terms of Fahrenheit uh, yesterday and today. And tomorrow it's supposed to be into the 70s. So a little bit more normal. And in theory, we might get more than just five, six, seven lap runs like they've been doing so far. All right, where do we go first to uh, to kick off the show? A little bit of music bed rolling in here again. Uh, we're going to go to Steve Sell, who asks, Who is Chris Wheeler? What is his background in racing? Chris being my co-host for the somewhat new hashtag racing family show we've been doing on Twitter Spaces. Uh, Chris has grown up in the sport, Steve. Uh, his His father... Packy Wheeler, as he is known, uh, they were the longtime sticker vendors for the IndyCar paddock, making stickers for just about everybody. So Chris grew up at the track, uh, has been involved in the helmet side for uh, a good long while, servicing helmets for uh, Bell. Now he's uh, representing Arai Spotter as well, uh, driver manager uh, too, Sebastian Bourdais, Zach Veach, Oliver Askew. Uh, and probably a few others that I'm forgetting. But yeah, Wheeler, it's never been a mechanic uh, crew member on an IndyCar, but that's about the only thing that separates the two of us, uh, knowing that we've both come up in open-wheel racing and worked in the IndyCar paddock forever. So just a brother uh, is what he is, a friend and uh, someone who definitely has been around forever as well. So that's who Chris Wheeler is. Uh, Vincent 1701 and thanks Jim by the way for lining up some fun questions to open the show since we have a little bit of a gap between Texas and Long Beach so more random and fun here he says uh after watching the Oscars have you ever been part of a team that had to break up a fight or uh, get your driver to cool down so no fights would happen yeah I think I've told this one before Vincent where uh, yeah there's some folks that had to break up a fight I was about to be in the middle of with one of our crew members, I think crew chief. Yeah. In my, was that my last year? Yeah. 2001 at gateway. Uh, it was just tired of the guy. Um, his crew chiefy style was one of constant complaining, nitpicking, bickering, you name it. Um, this guy had a approach that did not mesh with mine. And so he tried to do things in a very, I am the boss. I am the one and only word. I am the one and only truth. Any and all things must go through me. Nobody can do anything without my say. So nobody can laugh. Nobody can joke. If I'm laughing or joking, then you can too. But truly uh, a dictator's approach to things, Vincent. And, Nonetheless, when he wasn't trying to tell us how cool he was or how experienced he was, and again, how he was the best, uh, he wanted to try and lord over everybody. And his, I don't know if it was just a personality style or if he thought it was a management approach that might work, but think of him like a coach who never has anything warm or nice to say to the players. 
and believes that even though you might have just scored a hundred points, well, he's just going to hit you on that mistake that you made, the interception that you threw, or the the turnover you had. That was this guy's approach, and it was somewhere mid season, two thousand one IRL season, where we went to test at Gateway, and whatever it was, I just had enough. And so he was was yapping about something, sniping about something. And right next to where we were pitted, middle of the garage, there was the uh, kind of deposit area for motor oil, any oily, dirty stuff. And then that was all housed within a small little roll-down door-type garage where everything else was just wide-open garages. And so I just had enough and told the guy, follow me over here and we went in there and I closed the door behind me and I was about to start ragdolling the guy and that's when our truck driver a uh, a Vietnam vet uh a man from the heartland a man who with one hand could probably pick up the two of us uh he saw things escalating I think he heard that from the back of the transporter so that would have been 30 40 feet away from where things were going down However fast it was, he wasn't fast enough to get there and stop it from starting, but he did get in before any punches were thrown. And I was just at a point where I didn't care. Like, (laughs) uh, I didn't care. And if I had knocked the guy out, had done serious damage to him, if I'd been fired by the team, if I'd been whatever, I was just at a place where I didn't care. And so that's on me. That's 100% on me. That's me not taking care of my mentals and me letting someone get way under my skin. And that's one of the last times that's ever happened. But yeah, so that does come to mind um, much earlier in life. I can think of a time or two where uh, at Fife Ridge Racing, our crew chief, Ricardo Pinero, who was a scrappy guy who I loved. Um, I know that there was one or more times where he slash we were ready to go pick up torque wrenches and whatever else and start swinging at another team and i don't remember the exact circumstances vincent but that got calmed down somehow um yeah so couple couple in the past we'd go to greg marrier greg i'm not sure if i recall you sending in a question before so if this is your first thank you uh he says keep up the good work here and at home yes sir says watching jimmy johnson run ahead of scott dixon in the top five at texas was good to see but then his pit box told him that they had, quote, lost track of his fuel level, and he had to go into a fuel-saving mode that allowed Scott Dixon to get by him in the last few laps. To me, it looked like an F1-type move to get the more championship points for Dixon at the expense of Jimmy. Do you think there's any merit to that strategy call? Um, that would surprise me quite a bit. If there was true let's sink Jimmy to benefit Scott. And I know that maybe on the surface that might stand out. as like, oh, yeah, that could be a thing for sure. Um, we're going to want to do everything we can to help our perennial championship favorite and uh, to the, the detriment of Jimmy, even though it's only one position. I'll just say this. If we're talking end of the year, and it's the difference between first and second, second and third, and Scott is indeed vying for the championship, do I think that kind of conversation could be held? 
Maybe. At least the way that Ganassi operates, from my understanding, there is a real pride and preservation of honest competition. The fact that they were fighting over fifth and sixth, that is what leads me to believe might be a bit far-fetched to think that there was some ulterior motives going on here, some negative strategery to get Scott ahead of Jimmy by telling Jimmy he needed to save fuel. If we're talking a higher position, I would think, not that I think it would happen, but I would think that might at least land a little bit more credibly. Would say this, though, without a doubt, there is a massive desire within the team to not only have Jimmy continue with them in some capacity after his two-year contract reaches its end at the end of the season, but they're also wanting to hold on to Carvana, American Legion, you name it, with that 48 Honda. Now, whether Jimmy decides he wants to do another full season or wants to say, hey, that was cool, I did it, but now I'm going to step back I just want to come back and maybe do Texas and the Indy 500 next year. There's real forward-looking things in motion. And so knowing that they do want Jimmy back, whether Jimmy decides to come back full-time or part-time, or potentially not at all, it's up to him, not them, but also that they certainly want to keep that 48 car fully sponsored. And if Jimmy decides to not come back, or only do a limited campaign to be able to put someone else in there full-time. Those are the things that jump out first and foremost here, Greg. So it just makes me think no, because if you were manipulating things at this point, knowing the bigger goal they have uh, to keep that 48 car in motion next year with whomever in it and those sponsors, boy, this sure would be a, a bad precedent to set at only the second race of the season. So we got two questions on similarish veins uh, at IndyCar Prop, IndyCar Propaganda from Twitter, and also Riley Stricker uh, at Riley Stricker on the good old tweeters. Uh, IndyCar Propaganda says, "What is the difference in the management styles in the paddock? What teams are more driver centric versus team centric?" Would say Pato Award be able to speak about his contract publicly through the media at a team like Chip Ganassi Racing or Team Penske? Uh, difference in management styles in this paddock, I would say are probably no different than any other, right? I, I would struggle to come up with a IndyCar in general or IndyCar teams managed differently than NASCAR, F1, IndyCar, right? It's kind of a, a fairly proven formula of how to do that. So I don't think there's much there. Uh, you're asking about which teams are more driver-centric versus team-centric. It's a great one. Uh, difference here would be those that want to be and those that are. Uh, the ones that have proven to be driver-centric, uh, you mentioned Ganassi for sure. Uh, we'd have to say Penske is as well. They take great care of their drivers. One team is a little more clamped down in allowing their drivers to speak their mind and whatnot than the other. Meyer Shank Racing has quickly become a driver-first IndyCar organization. Uh, Air McLaren SP, I know they desire to be. I'm not sure I've seen the evidence that they are 
driver first, feel a lot more team first. You fall in line with us instead of the other way around. Um, trying to think what else jumps out here uh, among the other teams we might discuss in the space. Uh, who else? Who else? I mean, the coin team has been a little bit of a revolving door for a while, so it's hard to paint them as any kind, right? Uh, they're always welcoming new drivers. The Andretti team, I would say, is is probably somewhere in the middle. Rahal Letterman Lanigan seems to be very team first, even more so this year. Carpenter as well. Um yeah, there's interesting dynamics here. The Foyt team, that does seem to be a, a very team-first approach uh, compared to being all-in for the drivers, but is that changing right now? It's a, it's a good question that I don't have an answer to yet, just since we're so early into the season. So, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting stuff to follow here. I do love that question. Uh, as for Pato or any other driver... I think it really comes down to what they're looking for. Could or would a Pato share such things, speak about such things? If he was at an Andretti, a Ganassi, or a Penske, I'm sure he would or could if he felt that would be to his benefit. One of the main things to take home from Pato and the the story that uh, we did and he did with some others he would not be saying these things if there was no reason for it. It might be an obvious, obvious, sure, obvious overstatement. He's really smart. I know he's kind of bubbly and, and easy and, and freewheeling with his interaction styles, but do not underestimate how smart that kid happens to be. As I mentioned at the time here, whatever it was a couple of weeks ago, he would not be saying such things if he had not thought them through beforehand. Uh, there was no oops. There was no mistake. So it really does come back to what a driver is looking for. Uh, fully happy, fully content drivers tend not to speak out. Uh, so when you hear a driver speak out, it does lead you to ask a couple of questions couple of avenues that could be explored here. Are you wanting to apply pressure to get more? Bigger contract, more money? Are you applying pressure publicly to get out of a contract to try and go somewhere else? Are you saying such things to signal to new potential employers, whether it's in the series you're in or other series that you could be available there's a lot of options that could be at the heart of why a driver might say such a thing or might open up such a can. And knowing that he was on a IndyCar teleconference a day or two later with team president Taylor Kyle, and although I didn't take part in that, I did look at the transcript afterwards, he was not holding back. He was not saying, oh, you know, sorry, I can't talk about that. It was clear that nobody at McLaren put a uh, put a clamp on him, put a gag order on him. So if anything, he seemed to go farther 
than anything he shared in our interview. So if you take into account that the team is, is not trying to throttle him back, if you take into account that he is wanting to share this information for one of a couple of the reasons possibly that I mentioned, Unless there was a, a clause in his contract at another team, a Ganassi, a Penske, and Andretti that said you can never talk about these things ever, ever, ever under penalty of death or fine or something, unless there's a clause like that, I think you would see a Pato or similar driver going about things the same exact way to try and get one or more of those things that I mentioned uh, for the future. Leave, uh, let others know that you want to leave stay but stay with hopefully a better contract um i don't know where this is going to end up for him but i can tell you there are certainly some teams within the paddock that didn't know he could be had that are very interested in finding out if they can make him theirs for next year uh riley says do you have to wait until after long beach or now to start questioning the inconsistency of air mclaren sp does a talk around Pato's future can't be good either. Is there a motorsports equivalent to locker room issues uh, boiling up perhaps? Thoughts on either? Um, thanks, Riley. Yeah, this has been a engineering item, that being St. Pete. Cars just rolling off the transporter way off. And when you roll off, way off pretty much never get it all the way back by race day so they made improvements for sure got better for sure way off though and they were never going to get that all the way back so that was saint pete uh then at texas felix sank pretty quickly off of pole pato made pretty good charge to start they're not great qualifying, falling back a little bit, then charged forward, did some amazing passes like we expect from him. And then they both pooped the bed uh, at the same time with their pit stops. So engineering on one and driver mistakes on the other. Big surprise like you, Riley, that we have not seen Air McLaren SP right up front to start uh pato and felix top five top six together it is indeed strange to look and see that through these two races ones with very different reasons for the not awesome outcomes we do indeed have pato sitting 13th which is crazy uh and felix as well down in 19th my guess you mentioned, do we have to wait until after Long Beach? My guess, knowing how oh, fiercely competitive the people are at this team, I would think they have been working an even more insane amount of hours trying to make sure that when they roll out and do that first practice session at Long Beach on Friday, they are not miles off and scratching their heads. So I have to believe... Long Beach is going to look like effectively the start of their season with them being strong and competitive and running well throughout the entire event. That's what I have to believe because if that doesn't happen and if they are P12 and P15 at the end of 
that first Friday, Friday practice session, uh, I think indeed we're going to have to start asking what has gone wrong because it sure looks like enough changes were made in the off season for everything to go right. All right, we're going to go to Don Gregory. It says MP says you have the opportunity to bring the old speed wind tunnel show back on Peacock. Other than yourself, who'd you cast as the new host? As always, my very best to you, your warrior wife, and the felines. Should mention Rosie has jumped up over the back of the chair, clawed into my shoulder for traction. And she and Rocky are now staring out the window. Uh, you know who I am going to cast as the new host? I'm going to cast the original host, if he has any interest at all. That being my pal Dave Despain. I just think he was so good at hosting. So irreverent, yet tack sharp. Saw the humor, saw the irony, drew them out of people, kept the thing moving. Uh, I think, yeah, if Dave has any interest... In this fantasy world, I'm bringing back Mr. Despain. And yeah, uh, I, man, I love that show. I loved all the, the times that I was asked to come and be on it. I think I only did one in-studio visit. That was at the end of the 12 Hours of Sebring in 2008. Yeah, so flew from Orlando to Charlotte Sunday morning. Got there and was just chilling at speed. And who were the other guests that night? Roger Penske. And I'm forgetting who the other one was. But uh, I know that I called in countless times, usually on sports car related stuff. Might have been a little bit of IndyCar stuff here and there. But uh, if I was at Le Mans, if I was at Sebring, Daytona, Petite, whatever, um, Dave usually uh, had me on however many times per year. And it was always fun. So. Sure do miss that show. Uh, Maddie McDonald. Hey, Maddie, any word on why Ed Carpenter didn't seem to factor at all at Texas? As uh, Connor keeps saying in the hashtag racing family sessions, uh, Ed is an oval wizard. Where was the magic? I don't know. I haven't had a chance to catch up with Ed. And funnily enough, hi, Ed, it's Marshall calling to ask why you were kind of invisible. And I gave you the Mr. Invisible Award at Texas. Uh, those phone calls aren't always answered, Maddie. So I don't know, but I do know that when I see Ed at Long Beach and provided he is in a, in a position to run away from me, uh, I will ask what was going on there. And, uh, if it was just a, a little blip on the radar, uh, Maddie, you're back again. You say, recall you, uh, saying once that Han and Chevy have learned so much in the last 10 years that uh, a lot of the power gains in the new formula are coming from those areas rather than the extra 200 cc's of increased displacement, which mostly allows them to make that power reliably. Um, can you share any nerdy details about what those learnings might be related to? Please go deep. Um, I'm going to reread the question here a little bit because I'm... All right, yeah, so here's the, the overview for the new engine formula. And I don't know if this is going deep or if it's nerdy, but again, I'm trying to speak to everybody here, not just you, Maddie. We have a situation where IndyCar has said we're going to a larger displacement up from 2.2 liter twin turbo V6 to 2.4. And here's the but. But that motor must fit into the back of a Dallara DW12. 
So what does that mean? Well, you're not really able to make a lot of substantial architectural changes. Hey, we are going to go to a super wide V angle or super narrow V angle or do right a bunch of stuff. What this is, is high. You get to have larger internal capacity of the motor, not larger external, something that has a vastly different uh, silhouette or footprint. So that's the key thing here. That's what's keeping the new 2024 motors from being, again, radically different in shape and size than the current ones. As for what they learned... They're getting to do new blocks, new heads, new et cetera, et cetera. Sorry, I forgot to hit the mute on my phone, which just dinged because my wife texted me. Um, you have a situation where they're able to put all that they learned into this new motor, allowed to maybe push it a little bit harder, not in terms of revs, but we have a situation where I'm sure they've had new ideas that they have not been allowed to implement with the 2.2s. There have been allowances to do new heads on the 2.2 motors, for example, but everything has to fit in the exact same place, right? So that somewhat limits the amount of modifications you can do. Uh, Here, they're able to do new heads, able to do lots and lots of new. It just all has the... uh, somewhat tight confines of needing to fit into more or less the same silhouette of the current motor. And so, yeah, I think I wish I could give you vast things that they would have learned. They don't share those items, but I can just tell you that from what they've told me, yeah, we've learned a ton and we're not doing a drastically different motor than the one we've had before. We just have some more capacity, make some more power from that. We can ask each of those six cylinders to produce more power. Um, I think what we're going to hear a lot about is instead of radical ideas that they've been waiting to apply, I think we're just going to hear a lot about efficiencies that they have found and built upon and an ability, you talk about reliability, an ability to play within a similar range of expectations where hey we know the general blueprint of these motors and so for what we're doing with the new ones yeah we're not doing anything crazy so we don't expect any major issues i would say to complement that i heard of no issues on day one granted they didn't do a zillion laps but this speaks to what we're hoping for of being able to get the horsepower up to 800 ish I believe there's going to be increased boost allowance to uh, make that possible as well. So put those things together, Maddie. And until they're willing to really pull the covers back and talk about anything in depth, I think we're just talking more of an evolution than a radical difference with the uh, shift from 2.2 to 2.4. Next up, Keith Lee. MP, hope you and the family are doing well. Thank you, Keith. Just an observation, if you could, pass down to IndyCar leadership that Formula One uh, and others do a phenomenal job providing some great content on YouTube, uh, covering such topics as past and current rivalries in F1, technical marvels, recent changes, best liveries, hot topics, etc., etc. 
Uh, it seems like IndyCar, with its rich history and technical depth, could also capitalize on covering similar topics to boost fan knowledge and engagement. It wouldn't need to be produced by IndyCar themselves, but maybe a contractor, commission it, get someone there to develop and produce something for IndyCar. What are your thoughts? Uh, the past things on IndyCar for me thing, I'm not really doing too much of that anymore. But yeah, uh, I've raised the same point as well, Keith. Uh, boy, it's an amazing asset they have with IMS Productions and 100 plus years of footage and content. I know that I have offered in the past to be a person who does stuff like this. And while I probably don't possess the world's finest set of video editing skills or title and animation skills, I know folks that do. So, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, There's just so much there. And yet... Hmm. Embracing social media, embracing readily shared video content. Hi, Rosie, who jumps back up again and goes over my shoulder. Uh, I don't know what to tell you, Keith. It sure seems like the really obvious thing that everybody knows would be good and would help and that people would digest. Um, there's just a part of me that says if we all know this to be true and they obviously know what they have and can see what others do with producing constant, interesting, uh, current, retro, you name it, short video content. Um, if you don't see something obvious happening somewhere, you have to wonder what's the reason that we don't understand because if it's common sense that this should be happening and it's not, and you know that folks are alive and breathing and see things and understand things and would grasp that this would be a good thing and see examples of it being done elsewhere, and yet it still isn't happening. Again, you just have to uh, assume that they can't have missed this altogether, so there must be something else at play. Maybe the, uh, the contract or the commissioning thing Maybe that's the uh, the route to go. Uh, Steve Grinstead, MP. I'm stuck for an extended period of time in Charlotte because of flight delays. Any airports you are fond of or like to avoid? On the racing front, uh, any updates for silly season stuff? Um, not that I can think of on the silly season item. Uh, Steve, nothing that's that interesting at this moment, at least. Uh, as for airports that i love or hate which ones i mean the loves are the ones that stand out lax i hate uh just always and with a passion so yeah there's that uh las vegas is probably the one that i hate most of all um i first of all i hate las vegas so there's that but yeah that airport is just I can't stand that place. Phoenix, just from a design standpoint, I mean, I don't dislike walking. I actually like, you know, the long walks between connecting flights at Phoenix, right? Some good exercise. I just struggle from a design standpoint where you go, huh, so you 
could have set up your airport like like hubs like spokes on a wheel or you could just make everything really long and extended and super far away um yeah that one i've never loved dfw uh yeah that one i can't stand but some of the ones that i love my home airport san jose for sure denver i really like uh, austin and texas uh indy uh, i quite like that as well uh what else Milwaukee, uh milwaukee i got a lot of love for there what else orlando i know a lot of folks hate that one i don't so much i just think that i've been through there so many times that i've kind of figured out all the efficiencies to use i can tell you what i there's one thing that will make me hate an airport more than almost any other factor and it's off-site rental cars like having to gather everything, walk out to the curb, chuck it into some sort of van or onto whatever little sky sub uh, thing and, and fart along there. Like Atlanta, oh, yeah, Atlanta might be the one that I hate the most. That just takes forever, and it's a pain every step. But, yeah, ones where you can just walk out and across the lane to go straight to your rental car and get it and leave, like, yeah. Those are my favorite. So there we go. Uh, Keith Lee. Oh my goodness. You are back again. MP with Sebastian Montoya uh, coming up the ranks pretty quickly. Have you heard or spoken to JPM on where his son is heading? Is it a current F1 or perhaps IndyCar? I haven't. Uh, would also say it's probably a Sebastian thing, right? Uh, I don't know exactly where he wants to go. Uh, we were supposed to connect a couple days before Sebring and I just ran out of time, but it's a great question, and maybe you can get the two of them on the show here sometime soon and talk about stuff like that. I.I. Uh, Lemur, you say, do you have any Miles Row updates? I uh, haven't connected with him in a couple weeks, but I should reach out to him. Actually, what, it'd be a week and a half or whatever it is since I saw him at Texas. We spoke about everything other than his racing career, so I do need to reach out and find out. So hopefully I'll have an answer for you sometime soon. Uh, Pat O'Day, how you doing, Pat? Says MP, what do teams do with team shirts and helmets, etc.? When sponsors, drivers, or colors change? Are the team property and just hand it out per race? Also, do crew members tend to collect shirts uh, or memorabilia? Great question. Uh, thank you for sending this in, Pat. I know I asked you to uh, take this from uh, a Facebook post to uh, an actual question for the show. Really depends on the team. I know of, uh, let's see, I worked with one guy who was a crew chief, um, an IndyCar crew chief. Uh, I'm forgetting his last name. His first name was Brian. He was just the biggest dick in the world. But I remember him telling me how when he worked for Vince Granatelli, all the shirts, all the pants, all the everything uh, were accounted for. Uh, there was absolute stock check going on right inventory being done and every single piece of crew apparel even if it was just a polo shirt for setup day or travel day like they all had some form of uh, something on them you know i don't want to say a barcode because this would have been the 80s but whatever it was some sort of something inside that made it very clear that uh, this had a serial number and it belonged to the team period, end of sentence, and if a pair of pants went missing, 
they were expected to pay for him. Um, so I know of some teams that are, are very, very strict about belongings and even down to the clothing that you wear. Other teams, for the most part, not so much. Um, I think the majority of the teams that I worked for, since most were either small to midsize in IndyCar, were pretty lax about that stuff. And so I think that's why I have crew shirts from more or less every team I've ever worked for. Uh, Polos for some, hats for some. Um, In most instances, for the smaller teams and the medium-sized ones, instead of everything being turned in at the end of the race, someone there being responsible for dry clean, gathering them all and washing and taking them to dry cleaning, more often than not, you get the crew who self-manage that. So you bring home your sweaty stuff, you wash it all, you get it dry cleaned, and you bring it back with you. And that's an expense you handle compared to the team. So very, very varied, Pat, on how this stuff gets handled. I know for sure when you have some unique stuff, I don't know if the the monetary side comes to mind, but the, hey, we got an amazing sponsor or a one-off thing, you always want to hold on to that stuff because it's cool. It's stuff that you and others will certainly remember. I think it was the uh, 1997 Charlotte IRL race, the first ever, I think, Visionaire 500. Uh, Tony George had connected us with Richard Childress, uh, Dale Earnhardt. So we had some Childress sponsorship on the car. I think, as the police go by here, Dale Earnhardt Chevrolet. Uh, chase authentics and whatnot and so we had some special crew button-down shirts made um i think i still have might have some of the stickers from that uh since i was the one who was ordering the stickers and applying the stickers on the car i had one crew shirt i wore that thing a ton to the point where it was almost (laughs) just threads i think i might have just thrown it away if i kept it i don't know where it is but uh, so yeah, some special stuff like that. You try and hold on to, you hope the team doesn't get too grumpy about wanting it back. Um, we had for that race, uh, I think our, what did we have? The majority of the, the crew shirts, uh, we shipped back and we also added some, what did we do? Added some Earnhardt and Childress and I think Chase patches to our fire suits Don't remember the exact reason why, but we boxed everything up and mailed everything back to, I forget where, in Indianapolis. Uh, And whether we sent it to the wrong place or someone opened it up and said, aha, these things have value, I don't know. But I do know that after the race, uh, because I think I ended up just wearing that crew shirt back uh, on the flight home, which is why I had it, everybody else's were basically lost, gone, stolen, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I'm forgetting exactly what happened with the, uh, uh, our fire suits as well. But yeah, I think someone saw that there was some pretty unique NASCAR intimidator related IndyCar stuff here. And those went to new homes that, uh, yeah, I don't know if they should have gone there. Uh, we're going to get down to, I don't know how many questions we have here, but uh, let's go to Dan Rice. Actually, Dan, you are the final question. As I should mention, and I might pick up a couple more here uh, real quick, but uh, this is going to be the new format. I have asked my pal, Jim Kaiser, give me 
an hour or slightly less than an hour of the best, whatever the, the stuff is that you like the most in terms of questions, it's going to be the new format. And there'll be some exceptions. I will try to remember to mention it before we get rolling on those episodes. So if it's a big, crazy race where all kinds of drama happen and you've got a million questions, I'll mention it's probably going to be an overtime episode. Indy 500, that post-event episode is probably going to be beyond an hour as well. Uh, pick a few others. But for the most part, unless there's a reason to go beyond an hour, uh, I'm going to start limiting these to an hour or less just because with as busy as life has become, being the only person covering IndyCar for Racer and doing the Racer mailbag, which is a massive time investment, doing an hour and a half, two hour plus listener Q&As, honestly, it's just not fitting uh, the time demands in my life right now. So hopefully you don't mind, but uh, let's get to this last official question. We're actually getting done here pretty early, so that's why I'll roll in a couple more. But yes, the, uh, the new format's going to be an hour or less, except for the obvious needs uh, that will present themselves after whichever races. Uh, Dan says, MP, ridiculous follow-up to having a money-in-the-bank seat for IndyCar races. Let's go back to the late 90s, early 2000s, and the hardcore title rules. We're talking about wrestling here, where the uh, driver of the hardcore car can be challenged to a race at any time, anywhere. Any rules by someone who wants the seat? Let's nominate the 45 car that Ferrucci drove at Texas for this thought experiment. Wouldn't you love to see Charlie Kimball or Sebastian Savedra challenge Ferrucci to a go-kart race after the race to get the car for the next IndyCar event? Or Jacques Villeneuve coming out of retirement by issuing an iRacing challenge for some midweek entertainment? Am I onto something? Or have I gone too far in my attempt to blend pro wrestling nostalgia with modern motorsports? It almost sounds like the, the current WWE 24-7 title, where kind of anywhere, anytime, uh, it can be challenged for. I love this. I do. Um, I don't know if a go-kart race, though, is the thing that settles it, because if it's just people racing one another to get to race, uh, I don't know. I like the idea of some sort of impromptu wrestling match. So I love the thought here, Dan. I'm going to give it thumbs up, many, many thumbs up. Uh, let's go to a couple more here quickly to round out the show. Uh, Andrew Miller, you're wondering why the uh, engine test was moved from uh, sunny Sebring to Indianapolis. Uh, just knowing that the teams, most of the teams were meant to be testing here on the Indy road course on Thursday. Uh, IndyCar said, you know what? Some of those who are helping to facilitate the uh, new engine tests really aren't going to want to be down in Sebring than having to blast back and try and run their cars at Indy, so they just aligned everything at the same track. Uh, Vincent, your back to saw a clip. Do we know what the engine of uh, the specs are for the new engine? The power unit uh, sounds like more RPMs from the test. There are none. Um, there are 12,000 RPMs. Uh, so same RPM limit as a previous motor. Uh, as for specs, uh, mentioned already it's an increase in uh Internal capacity from 2.2 liters to 2.4. The goal has been to push, call it average horsepower, to about 800. Uh, know that in general, the current motors are said to be over 700 without push to pass, somewhere around 750-ish maybe, 740 to 750 with push to pass. So the goal is to get them up closer to about 800. And then the energy recovery system is meant to put about another 100 horsepower on top of that. So 
I would say 880 to 900 with full engine power and full electronic horsepower applied is what they're aiming for. Kevin Kemp, you're wondering, hey, it's crazy, but if NASCAR can take a car to Le Mans, why not IndyCar? Um, it is a crazy idea. And yes, you know all the, you cite all the reasons why it would be tough and why it wouldn't happen, and I'll just say that yes, uh, those are all the reasons why it wouldn't happen. Um, it's Mitsuki Matsura, you say, Marshall, hi, Marshall's son. Honda's opened a new $124 million wind tunnel facility in Ohio. How beneficial would it be for a spec IndyCar, uh, for a spec series like IndyCar and its Honda-powered teams? Very <laughs> massively. So, yeah, this is, uh, this is only going to help them uh, for sure. Uh, makes me wonder, could it be to the point to where IndyCar limits, uh, put some sort of rule in place limiting the number of uh, full-scale wind tunnel days they might be able to do in the future? Uh, I do believe IndyCar does rein that in a bit already, but we're talking about going somewhere else. Um, I would think they might include Honda's new uh, full-scale tunnel in that as well. Um, just looking through the last couple things here. Uh, B. Johnson 203 from Reddit. Do you think we could see Lazier Racing roll out an old car for Flynn Lazier if the field stays at 32? Um says, I know it's been his goal, uh, Buddy's goal to get his son in there for years. Uh, I do not. Um, they would need to update the car, wouldn't they, to aero screen and all that, and then get an engine lease. And, yeah, I don't know if Chevy would uh, get behind that, unfortunately. Uh, I think I might take Grant Stouter will close here with you. Uh, you say, Marshall, read your write-up on the potential hybrid. It's not a potential, brother. It is going to be a hybrid. It says, I'm intrigued how it would work. Would it be a standard piece, or could IndyCar teams have a form of brake steer with it? Uh, use it as part of engine braking. Obviously, nowhere near the crazy stuff, uh, brake-by-wire stuff on the rear brakes in Formula 1, etc. cetera. Uh, I'd heard that that might have been a thing they were contemplating, but I've heard more recently that, no, it's just going to be the normal pneumatic braking system not uh, break by wire or anything like that. Uh, I think in terms of how it's going to work, I think it's going to be extremely conventional. Uh, generate under braking, also potentially use the uh, the fiddle, uh, the the paddle that I wrote about in the on the attached to the steering wheel to generate uh, possibly as well. Uh, and yeah, I don't foresee anything to start that's going to have any kind of brake steer manipulation, anything like that being allowed. Only thing that I know of is uh, really trying to be very strong in keeping brake bias proportioning uh, locked into place front and rear. Uh, so that's what I know. Y'all, i uh, got a couple more questions I could get to, but I do want to... Uh, I do want to stick to this new format, and we are definitely done in under an hour. So big thanks to you for sending in your questions. If there are any that you really wanted me to answer and I didn't get to, do this. Normally I say send them back in. If you sent in something you really wanted answered, raise that on Twitter. Uh, not Facebook, because I don't look at Facebook as much as I once did. But if you sent in something, you want me to answer it, uh, really want me to answer it, uh, let me know on Twitter at Marshall Pruitt and I will respond there. Other than that, big thank you to you again for all your questions. Be back next week leading into Long Beach. 
Big thank you as well to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com for supporting us. Jim Kaiser, one-year anniversary. Thank you, brother. Look forward to uh, another year and hopefully more. I do appreciate you, and you do a wonderful job of assembling everything here. Last little note, I should have mentioned in the beginning, if you want to join a, a growing family of racing fans, IndyCar fans, folks with big hearts, a lot of humor and silliness as well, uh, join a racing family. We'll do that. Send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S at gmail.com. One of the leaders there, one of the fine men, fine women will respond within a couple of days and get you added in to their big group chat. And again, talk about racing, talk about the show, talk about life, whatever it is, there's truly a growing and growing and growing racing family there called the Pruday that uh, I care for uh, a heck of a bunch and appreciate. So, all right, y'all, we'll speak to you here soon.